I want to introduce today the theme of being a fighter. Fighter. I'm not talking physically, but I'm talking spiritually. Being a fighter. Being a royal, noble defender. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus says, or, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Question is, where are the defenders? We are. We're not where are. We are the defenders of our, our families, aren't we? We are to be the defenders of our families. So the question is, is there a strong man in your house? Is there a, a Holy Spirit strong man in your house? And I, I wanted to introduce this, this message because I feel that we need a, a shift in our, in our mentality to move from being defensive to becoming more offensive-minded. And I believe we need to get rid of this, this mindset that we're, as, as the people of God, we're always under attack. Or uh, we need to get rid of this mode of constantly thinking that, uh, that the church as a, as a small little fort, small church, small fort mentality, and that we're always on the defense, and the sky is falling, and the, and the world is coming to an end. I believe we've got to shift from that mentality to believing that we are strategically and divinely placed in this time and this season for such a time as this. We are here to be disciples of nations. That's the greatest command Jesus gave just before he left. Go and make disciples of all nations. We are here to be disciples. And we're, we're here to uh, transform our city. We're here to extend the borders of his kingdom. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Paul says, For he gave us his life, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph. Triumph. Let me see. Not only, the Bible tells us, not only is Jesus interceding for us, but Holy Spirit. We have another intercessor. Holy Spirit is constantly interceding for us. So we have two-thirds of the Trinity praying for us every single day. And Paul, Paul goes on to say, for nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love, God's love towards us. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors. God wants you to know that you were born for the fight, that you are to be more than, you are more than conquerors. Today we're going to book, go to a, a, another book in the Bible. A couple of weeks, weeks ago, I talked about the book of Nehemiah. You know, there's similarities between the book of Nehemiah and the book of Esther. And if you've never read the book of Esther, what 
a powerful story. I read it all again this last week, and I thought, wow, this is such an incredible story. Ten powerful chapters about how God moves. You know, when, when people respond, when they realize that it's their time, and they take their turn. So we're not going to read it because that's a long, lot of reading. But So I'm going to try to talk about it, try to tell that story to you. It's a great story, 10 chapters. It is about a Persian king who divorces his wife, the queen, and he's looking for another queen. Long story short, Esther ends up being the queen. She wins the beauty contest. Now, Esther has, another, has, a, has a relative there named Mordecai. He's an older cousin. He's kind of like um, um, a, a, a person that helps and, protect, and protects. He's kind of like an uncle. And they are both Jews living in a non-Jewish country. Now, there's another key character in this story, and his name is Haman. And Haman is the king's right-hand man. And he's, he's got so much power and authority, he's literally next under the king. And two words that can describe Haman, narcissistic, egotist. He's a narcissistic egotist because he's always walking around the streets demanding that everybody that he comes into the presence of has to bow. Every single person is required to bow. And everybody does bow except one guy, Mordecai. Mordecai refuses to bow every time Haman comes by and officials say, hey, Mordecai, you should be bowing before, you know, like it, it's, that's part, that's protocol. You should be doing that. You know what Mordecai says? No, not going to happen. There's only one God I bow down to him. It's not him. And so Haman gets angrier and angrier, angry enough that he wants to literally kill Mordecai. And then he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. And when he finds that out, wow, he hates Jewish people. He hates all the Jews. There are so many Jews that are, that are now in, living in the, 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 this, this kingdom of Persia. 27 provinces, there's, there's Jews in every single one of them. And they play quite a part. They're very industrious. They're actually very prolific people. And so Haman hates the Jews. So he devises this wicked, evil plan to get rid of this guy, Mordecai. But not only do that, he wants to get rid of every single Jew that's alive. And so he comes up with this plan of annihilation. He makes an appointment with the king, appears for the king, talks to the king constantly how evil and bad these Jewish people are. They're, they keep to themselves. They, they disobey the king's order. They're a people of, in, 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 of intrigue. In, intrigue. King, you've got to get rid of them. He says, you, we should get rid of every single one of them. Well, the king is convinced. And he signs an edict, a royal edict, to get rid of every single Jew, man, woman, child, kids, in one single day. This guy, Haman, <laughs> not a very nice guy. And so the king agrees. He signs that edict. And now the king has no idea, but he has no idea that Esther and Mordecai are Jews. So Haman goes ahead of this plan, and he just goes on his, on his own, and he builds a, a gallows 75 feet high, and he's going to hang Haman on it. And he's planning. He's got all these plans. He's going to have this great big 
event and celebration where all the people are gathered to witness this. And he's going to be leading the event. But he has to get authorization from the king. And so he makes a plan, the appointment, to go see the king. But in the meantime, before this happens, there was a, there was a plot that was going on to assassinate the king. And guess who hears about it? Mordecai overhears two of the king's men plotting to assassinate him. And so he rushes and he sends a, a word to Esther in the palace. And Esther tells the captain of the, card, of the guard who goes and relays a message to the king. And it literally ends up saving the king's life. And so this is happening. And, 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 and so this plot... This, this plot was literally, fu- uh, you can just, you can see some, some, something's happening here, isn't it, in this story. And so, while Haman's, Haman makes this appointment to go see the king, and while he's waiting, the king turns to one of his servants, and he says to the servants, hey, do you remember that guy that, uh, that who saved my life a couple of, it was, like it was a couple of weeks ago? I mean, I, what was his name when the servants... He says, it was Mordecai. He said, yeah, Mordecai. He says, no, was there anything done to honor and to thank Mordecai? Like, did we even send him flowers? And the guy says, no, nothing. And so the king is thinking about this, this, and then Mordecai comes in. And so the king says to, to, sorry, sorry, Haman comes in, not Mordecai. And so Haman says, so the king says to Haman, what should be done for someone the, whom the king really wants to honor. And, and Haman, well, he's so arrogant, he's thinking right away, well, the king wants to honor me. Me. I mean, who else would the king want to honor? It's got to be me. So he says, king, this is what I would do. I would, put, I would put a royal robe on that man. I would mount him, get him mounted on the king's royal horse with one of the King's, the royal crest on that king's on that horse's uh, on the forehead, and I would select a nobleman and lead and parade, parade that man through every single street of the city, shouting out, "This is what is done for the man whom the king wants to honor." And so the king says to him, "Amazing, amazing, so much better than flowers." Haman, I want you, I want you to go find Mordecai, put the robe on him, put him on the horse, and I want you to lead him through the entire city and to honor him. Can you see what's happening here? There's a shift taking place in this story, isn't there? Afterwards, Haman goes home. He's humiliated. And all his, his wife and his friends are waiting for him to hear what, well, you know, to, to hear what, what happened, uh, hear what the king said about hanging Mordecai. And so he says to his wife, you'll never believe what happened. And he just tells it all. He just spills his guts. And she says to him, she asks him, is Mordecai a Jew? He says, yeah. He says, well, then you're dead. You're dead because you cannot come against this people. You are going to die. You're going to die for that. Now, there's a scene that took place in the story just before this, and it's 
just before, before the palace. And Mordecai has found out this plot, this wicked plot, to annihilate all the Jews. And the word has gotten out, the edict has gone out. And all the Jews in, in, in all the province are weeping, and they're mourning, and they're fasting, and they're praying. It is a powerfully mournful time. And so they, they're all, they, they all put on sackcloth and ashes. And here's Mordecai. He's got his sackcloth on. He's got his ashes on. And he's just weeping and wailing and moaning as he walks through the city streets. And he goes right up to the palace. And Esther looks out the window and sees Mordecai, you know, acting like a crazy man. So, he, so she tells her servant, here, take these clothes. Take them down to Mordecai. Tell him to put these clothes on and to calm down. You're embarrassing the family. And so Mordecai responds to what the servant tells him. And Mordecai says these words to him. Tell Esther, don't think that, that just because you're in the king's palace, that that won't keep the king from destroying you and from destroying our family. And here we can see, you know, I say, the, the wheels are turning. Like, God is in, so involved in the story. And then he says, he says, tell, tell Esther, tell Esther, what if you came? What if you came into this royal position for such a time as this? What if you were born with just the right beauty and the body that you have right now? So that you could be in this place, in, the, in this palace, at, ex at the exact right time. So that you could save our people. What if you attained royalty for such a time as this? And Esther replies back, tell, him, tell Mordecai, tell Mordecai that no one can appear before the king without first being invited. They have to be summoned. I haven't seen, I haven't been summoned by the king for over 30 days. You know that anyone who approaches the king without first being invited, the penalty is death. Unless the king tips his royal scepter and grants me favor. Then Esther says, tell Mordecai, fast, pray, fast and pray. Get everyone fasting and praying in all the provinces because in three days, I'm going to face the king. And if I die, I die. You can read the rest of the story. But you read the rest of the story and it's all about a divine turnaround. A divine turnaround. A reversal is happening. And it's a reversal, a divine reversal that happened, happened when someone stepped in and took their turn. Question, what if you and I attained royalty for a time like this? What if you and I were born specifically at this time to be this age and to be in this place for such a time as this? Did you ever think about that? You know what the Bible calls us? It calls us royalty. You are called, we are called 
a royal priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We are divinely planned to be here for this time. We are planned. You, we are called to be more than conquerors. Let me tell you, you were born for the fight. Are you tracking with me? Romans 8, 19. Paul said to the Romans, for the, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. You can almost put that word royal. The, for creation waits in eager expectation for the royal sons and daughters to be revealed. Who's a royal son or who's a royal daughter here? Every hand should go up. Amen? You are a royal son and daughter of the king. He's our, he's our father. He's also our king. We belong to the king of kings. You and I were royalty. Amen? For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons and daughters to be revealed. It's in the dark, difficult times of our life when God reveals who we are to the world, doesn't he? What, we were re what we're really made of. You look at the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And when does the devil show up? On the 40th day. Why? Because he thought Jesus would be the weakest, right? Now, in this case, I believe that this is the setup. This is planned. This is ordained. And when Jesus went into that desert, the, de the, de the devil knew he was going because God told him to go. I believe that God sent the devil to meet Jesus head on. Not to destroy him, but, and, 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 and to, to defeat him, but so that Jesus could defeat and overcome the enemy. Do you agree with that? And I believe that God allows the devil to come against us, you and I, not so that he defeats us, but so that we realize that we have the power to, to defeat him. He's given us all. All the power over all the, po the power over all the enemy. When Jesus went to the into the wilderness, he went, he went in. He was led by the Spirit. But the Scripture says, when he left the wilderness, he went out in the power of the Spirit. You know, it's, it's so true. You study the Gospels. Jesus never did any public miracles until he first had until he had that private any public public miracles until he had that private victory in the wilderness and that's where it all began i love what td jakes says td jakes great preacher goliath wasn't sent to kill david he was sent to reveal him so true isn't it you read 
uh, you read all about David, David, 1 Samuel 16 and 17. 1 Samuel 16. Samuel the prophet is sent by God to find the replacement for King Saul. And so he finds David amongst all his brothers, pulls him out from tending sheep, anoints him with oil to be the next king. And the only one who knew about him was Samuel and, and, and the rest of his family. No one knew David then. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David fights Goliath. Goliath, 40, for 40 days, Goliath is taunting the armies of the living God. Cursing, sneering. And he's shouting out, Is there no man for me to fight? Is there no defender among you? And David says, Why is this guy doing this? Why is no one doing anything about it? And what, you know, what would be done for the man who takes this big glue out? out? What, what would be the reward? And the, and the soldiers tell him, well, the king will reward him with great riches. He will give the hand of his daughter in marriage, and he would exempt the, the whole family from taxes for the rest of your life. And David says, you've got to be kidding me. Really? He says, I'll do it. I'll do it. No one knew who David was until Goliath taunted the armies of the living God. There was a strong defender then, and I tell you, there are, there's a stronger defender today. Amen? There are strong defenders today. The question is, where are the strong defenders? Where are the strong men? Where are the noble defenders of our home, of our family, of our church? Where are the noble defenders of our nation, of Canada? We are supposed to be the land the, of the true north strong and free. Amen? Now, sometimes I think the biggest, there's a reason why we lack courage. Sometimes we lack courage because of our past sins. Paul says here to Philippians, Philippians 3, 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to, to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, you've got to understand that when Jesus forgave you, he also restored you. When you repent, when you repented, he took you from your lowest sin to be raised up to the very pinnacle of your highest potential to be a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to be seated with Christ in high places. Amen? That's what he did. In other words, your sin is no longer your ceiling. Your redemption is your floor. Amen? And you are free to move upward into the call of God for your life. You can dump the junk in your life and you can move forward with confidence. Amen? With boldness to move into your purpose. In the story of, there's a story in the Bible of Elijah and Elisha, prophets. 
In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a picture up there. Elijah the prophet is walking along, and he's the senior guy. He's the senior prophet. Elijah's the senior prophet. And Elisha is the up-and-coming prophet. And he's plowing along, doing his regular job, he's, and he's plowing oxen, when suddenly Elijah just throws his cloak and mantle on his back. Doesn't say a word, just walks away. Doesn't say a word. It's his way of saying, his way of saying to Elisha, it's your time and it's your turn. And Elisha understands instinctively what has happened. And so what does he do? He goes and he slaughters, sacrifices his 12 12 yoke of oxen, 24 oxen, burns all the plowing equipment, that's worth a lot of money. You know, this represents his past. This is his way of saying, I'm not turning back. Even on my worst day, I will not turn back. You know, this, you know what this is? This is covenant. This is covenant. It's the same between us and our Lord Jesus Christ as believers. Luke chapter 9, 62. No one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus said, whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Wow. I listened to this, um, I read this article by a pastor, Chris Bolaton. And in this article, um, he describes what I believe could be happening today in North America. <clears throat> and I, I just want, I want to read this to you. And I haven't got it on screen. just going to read it to you. And this is what he says. Believers, and I would probably add the word many believers. Many believers have succumbed to fear and often chosen to retreat, retreat at any sign of upheaval or discontent, wanting never, want, never wanting to offend but to instead, but let me start over again. Okay. Believers have succumbed to fear and often chosen to retreat at any sign of upheaval or discontent, never wanting to offend, but to instead be everyone's surface level friend. Morality is whispered only in the safety of closest friends, and purity has become a well kept secret. Nobility has virtually disappeared from society and is viewed as an old man's musings, irrelevant to the 21st century hipsters and the PC crowd. PC stands for politically correct people who, wa- who watch what they say because they don't want to offend other people. In fact, moral restraint is, uh, is viewed as a bondage that shackles society, promoted only by religious bigots and antiquated dinosaurs who are disappearing in the ice age of a sunless society, S-O-N, sunless society. And so we, with noble purpose, cower in the corner of culture, living in the shadows of society, hoping, desperately hoping, we don't awaken the hipster's dissatisfaction 
and invite unnecessary persecution into our lives. Meanwhile, our children march slowly into the darkness as we congratulate ourselves on another day without offense. But here's what he says. But this is not our portion as the royal sons and daughters of God. It's not us. Our inheritance does not lie in the settling standard of society. It lives with more conviction and confidence, testing the status quo and upholding the value system that is not of this world. In other words, the kingdom of God. Amen? Those are powerful words. Listen, we carry the truth. Truth is what sets people free. Amen? Can I say it again? You were made for such a time as this. You were divinely set apart, and you were filled. You were to be filled with His purpose. We are, you know, this whole thing about being passive, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, verse 12. He says that, for since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. And another version would see violently, violently advancing. For violent men and women take hold of it. As, you know, and, and what they're doing is they're going after the prize, the prize of being a part of the kingdom. And they do it with, with ardent zeal and great exertion. He's talking about being forceful. The kingdom of God only advances with, with forceful men and women who are, who are designed to move forward, right? And faith and courage. It doesn't happen on its own. It takes a church of courage and boldness to move it forward. So we were made for such a time as this. I say you were born for the fight. That You know, we were, in this age, we need to fight. This is the, the time that we need to fight. And we need to move forward. Move forward into the plans of God that he's prepared for us. Move forward into the positions of authority that he's ordained for us. Move forward to be the light that literally blazes into the darkness. Amen? You know, and one more, I want to add one more point. And it's time to start declaring, decreeing God's promises. Decree God's promises over every area of your life. You know, we activate, we activate God's power through decrees of faith, right? Decrees of faith. But how do we do that? By decreeing the promises of God. How many promises of God are there? Hundreds of promises. So many promises of God. And they're all God's word. And the Bible tells us his, his, that His words are our spirit and they are life. Norman Vincent Peale. I don't know what you think about him, but he says some really good stuff. He says that 85% of our worry never happens. 85% of worry never happens. If you say something good 100% of the time, 85% of the time, it will turn out for good. Isn't that right? If you say good 100% of the time, then 80% of what you say is going to turn out for good. That's because, you know, when we speak the Word of God, every Word of God has power in itself to make it come to pass. And I, and I heard a, prophet, uh, a lady, a prophet on the firewall talking about this. She, talk, she gave that example. For example, when you're born again. When you're born again, you spoke words that came out of your mouth that literally brought you, translated you from one kingdom into another. 
just by speaking those words, right? Powerful. There's power in your mouth. Here's what Paul said to Romans. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we what? Proclaim. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Ephesians chapter, he pointed out, talked about Ephesians chapter 6. You know that's the chapter of the armor of God? If you read that through all the, the pieces of that armor, all the equipment, all the armor is really protective gear. It's for our protection, for our defense, except for one. You know what that one, that one offensive armor is? The sword of the Spirit, right on. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, not just the Word in your Bible that you've got on the shelf, but it's the spoken Word of God that's in your heart, and it comes out of your mouth, and it's spoken out loud. That's what, make, that's what the Bible calls the Greeks, rhema word, the rhema word. The rhema word is always spoken, spoken, declared. With faith, it's a word. It has the power. It's the sword of the Spirit. It has the power to cut away light from darkness, soul from spirit. Soul, soul, soulish. Mind, what comes into your mind, will, and emotions, man, soulish man, and what is of the Spirit? The, the perfect will of God. Right? That's the power of the word. So here, my challenge is to us, it's to speak God's promises over our lives every single day. And to believe that God has called you for such a time as this. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask all of us to stand. And you don't have to stand. But can we all stand? <clears throat> and, and I want you to put your hands out. And I want you to pray after me. And I've written out a short prayer that I want to lead you in. Okay? Are you ready for this? Don't, and, okay, it's going to lead you to this. All right, are you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you made me a noble person, a royal person. There is a defender of this family. There's a noble person who defends the family, the city, and this nation. Lord Jesus, give me the courage that I would need to be a radical revolutionary that sees the conversion of neighborhoods, cities, nations to Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, just be seated for a minute. Bow your heads again. Today I believe that Jesus, if you've never experienced his goodness before, he wants you to experience his goodness. God doesn't want us to stay captive in our negative situations. And I'm simply here to tell you today that there is a God in, a, in heaven that loves you so much that he, that he gave his life and shed his blood so that he could have you to be with him forever in a place called heaven. Today and now, he wants to forgive you of all your sins. 
and he wants to come into your heart and to be Lord and Savior of your life forever. Amen. And if you give him your old life, he will give you his new life. And you will never do it. You will never regret it. And if that's you, you want to give your heart back to God, and you're coming back to Jesus. Or maybe it's you for the first time, you want to invite Christ into your heart to be Lord and Savior of your life. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray this prayer after me. <clears throat> and you, this, you pray this prayer right out to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe that you shed your blood on the cross to pay for my sins. Please forgive me for every sin that I have committed. Today and now, I ask Jesus to come into my heart to be Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. No turning back, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask, if you said that for the very first time, Will you just raise your hand and just wave it? Wave it. Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Receiving Christ today. You said that online. You said that prayer online. When you touch the hand near the bottom of that screen, it will connect you to someone you need to talk to. You said that prayer today. I want you to go back to the connections desk. Right after, there's a, there's a, a booth back there. And we want to tell you, we want to give you a gift. And I tell you what your next step in your great relationship and journey with Jesus will be. Amen? What a great decision that's made. If you made that decision, then go back to the desk, and then we'll tell you what your next step is. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, um, I've really challenged you, I hope. Um, I, I want to just add something else here today. Um, I've been I'm a person who believes in the prophetic. I believe that in the fivefold ministry, that there truly are prophets. This is not antiquated. It's not of the past. It's not ceased. Many people believe that. Much of the New Testament is, is ceased and gone. Holy Spirit's power, presence, all that kind of stuff. But you know, gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the fivefold ministry, the gift of the prophet, is so important. Um, I believe we're going to see a revival of the prophetic gift in the ministry, even in our church. I think some of you are called to be prophets, you know, and God is, you know, going to release that ministry. But I also believe there are what we call, um, uh, 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 what do you call, prophets who are like more apostolic. Uh, they're, they're, they're recognized, they have this prophetic mantle. Um, they don't just operate in the gift, but they have, they're, they're recognized uh, worldwide as being prophets because when they prophesy, things come to pass. And so there are many prophetic words that, that I've been listening to, and my wife is so good. Uh, <clears throat> and it really gives me hope for our future, and that's why the prophetic is so powerful that it, it brings light and it brings hope, and it tells you where God is moving where you might not realize. And, and here I just want to repeat some, just some of the phrases that, 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 that prophets universally on 50 different nations are saying the very same words, almost identical words. Here's what's happening. <clears throat> what's been happening in the past few months. There is a supernatural shift taking place in the heavenlies. 
we are going to a reset, a worldwide global spiritual reset. We are on the verge of spiritual victories. Sudden divine reversals are going to happen. Things have shifted and heaven is breaking through on hell. All the stuff, all the wicked, evil, darkness we've seen, wow, their time is so limited. Heaven is coming. You know, people, you know, many Christians say, hey, the sky is falling. You know what God is saying? No, heaven is coming. Heaven is coming. And we're a part of it. Listen, you and I, we are living in the most, in the most exciting time we could ever live. Be thankful you're living in this time and this place. Amen? Be so thankful. God has a great plan for this church. And, and when I heard this, this word, I'm, I'm going to give this word. When I heard this word, I literally wept. And the word said this, the dead bones of society will become the mighty armies of God. The dead bones of society will become the mighty armies of God. Who are the dead bones of the society? We have so many in our city of Lethbridge. In fact, Lethbridge is full of dead bones of society. I, I drove up this morning. We drive on Stafford Drive, up on Stafford Drive. And there are, there are people. The Lord is going to bring a lot of people the dead bones of society would become the mighty, mighty armies of God. The Lord is going to bring a lot of people with addiction, addictions, even satanically oppressed people, and bring them into this next move of God. Wow. wow. The Lord is going to bring them here for freedom. Freedom. He came to set the captives free. Those in a prison, because of the pain in the past that have pushed them into becoming addicts. A massive shift to bring freedom to the captives just because he loves them. Wow. Just because he loves them. You know, that brings such tremendous hope. You know, I, I think in about our city. You know, we, cities all across North America. I don't know what's happening in Europe. But I know like even like places like New York, New York City, New York City has become a tent of homeless people, wanderers. The crisis in our city alone is massive, becoming uncontrollable. Nobody can handle it, but God can. I recently talked to Streets Alive Ministry. He said the opioid crisis is out of control. I was talking to John. He says people are dying from drugs. He's filling people. We're dying from overdoses. And, says, and John said, it's not just indigenous people, and we so love them, but it's everyone. It's young, it's old, it's all kinds of people are dying. And they're churning to drugs instead of Jesus Christ. God wants to send us out to connect to even some of those with those people too. It's fun. And here's what I believe. A massive shift is coming to bring freedom to the captives. And God will enlist them as workers. 
for the end time harvest. I believe this, this, this next move of God is a precursor, the wave to the biggest wave of all that will come after that. It's called the end time harvest. Everything's going to come from, and, you know, the revelation is going to be fulfilled. This world is going to come. It's going to be changed forever. It's coming to an end. God will enlist them as workers for the end time harvest because he loves them. And we need to bless them when they come here for such a time as this. Amen? Amen? Let's give, let's give God a hand. Let's just thank Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.